3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This guy is a
1: machine. All he does is work out and pick winners. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski. Oregon's down by 12. They're
4: on the 45-yard line with no timeouts.
1: Oregon's got an all-American field goal kicker. Why didn't somebody tell me? Chicago Sports Betting Show. Touchdown, Ohio State. There are some folks who are celebrating and others who are saying, you've got to be kidding. You kind of know what I'm thinking about. Over or under? Under would be the key word.
4: Broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, presented by your local Hyundai dealers. Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski, Fridays through March. It's a beautiful thing, ain't it? And day one of the NC2A tournament, only about halfway done. Half of day one. So good. Might have a problem, though. Just between uh, me and you. Might have a problem. Things are out of control. Running a survivor pool that got much bigger than I ever expected brackets because you just have to you have to do the brackets squares ATS last man standing pools and not one of each many many and it's so much fun juice I'm rolling with is we haven't had a tournament in two years I, I think that's good enough for this season hopefully you're still alive with all your contests your big bets your futures we'll preview tomorrow's games with our college hoops maven Eli Herskovich coming up in a bit but Let's start off with some hardball because we are inside two weeks away from opening day. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski, and let's go out to the Alpamonte Ford Hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park on North Avenue or AP4.com. Adam Burke joins me on the score. He's the host of ATS Radio, lead writer, ATS.io. You can follow Adam on Twitter, at skating tripods and every time i talk to adam i make sure to promise him that i am not going to bring up that rain delay on a november night into the morning in 2016 how you doing adam
2: uh wow (laughs) i i was doing okay i was having a pretty decent day here but uh (laughs) On that note, man, you, you forget this segment. I'm going to hang up now.
4: <laughs> I felt like I had to do that for the people because you are uh, on the radio home of the Chicago Cubs right now. So I just did it for the people. Not, not It's nothing personal, man,
2: but I do apologize. <sighs> it, it still hurts. Just Just <laughs> like I'm sure everybody there still relives every moment of that game. You know, you get that Cleveland sports montage every time a Cleveland team is on ESPN or, you know, anything like that. Some some major spotlight game and you get that montage of all the heartbreaks. That one absolutely tops the list for me still. And I was a season ticket holder that year at every playoff game. Mm. So uh, it, it hurts that much more. But uh, I wanted to talk win totals with you, not just Indians, not just
4: Cubs and Sox, but we'll hit all of those teams. Uh, You do a ton of homework, these terrific, lengthy write-ups, all sorts of different betting angles, win totals, futures, player awards, all kinds of stuff. So I wanted to hit on the win totals with you. And, you know, since we are on the Cubs station, let's start with the Northsiders. Over at points bet right now, Adam, the number here for the Cubs is at 78 and a half as they are in this transition period. The lineup is still pretty stacked, even though they aren't as consistent as many would have expected over the last few years here. And they don't have much left in the rotation. There's Kyle Hendricks as your opening day starter, and then after that, it's a bunch of threes and fours after moving on from you, Darvish and the bullpen, big shrug of the shoulders, not really sure what you're going to get there. Some young arms that they like, but uh, last line of defense, his name is Craig Kimbrell. What's your outlook for the Cubs with a uh, win total below 500?
2: Yeah, you know, for the Cubs, I think it's pretty interesting. I I can't remember the last time they had a season win total this low. I, I would say it's probably about 2014 would be the last time that we saw them you know, lined with a win total under 500. And, and the funny thing about the Cubs here, and I guess it's not funny for Cubs fans, but, you know, there's a stat out there called WRC+. Plus. It stands for Weighted Runs Created Plus. It's a, a sabermetric stat. But basically, for the purposes of this argument, 100 means league average. So it's adjusted by league, by run environment, by the ballpark factor, all of that. The Cubs in 2017 were 101. So they were 1% above league average offensively they were exactly league average in 2018 and 2% above league average in 2019. So for as stacked as this lineup is in terms of name value, they've essentially been a league average offense each of the last three full seasons. And then last year, of course, they were a below average offense, as we all saw. Mm -hmm. So that's the thing that's really strange about the Cubs is they have all of this talent, but a lot of guys have underperformed, underachieved. And the big question for this year they've got several key guys that will be free agents after this season. Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez. There are some studies out there that suggest that players in contract years are about 5 to 7% better on average in a contract year. So maybe that shows up here for the Cubs this season. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe this team looks a lot different in August and September. So I think they're very hard to kind of gauge going into this season because I don't know what this roster looks like after the trade deadline, given that they're clearly trying to shed as many costs as possible.
4: No doubt. And they would love to trade Chris Bryant, but is there going to be a suitor? What are they going to get in return? Are they going to extend guys like Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez long-term? What about Wilson Contreras uh, with a couple of years of control left? It's interesting. So what you're saying is what if they outperform what we've seen in recent seasons, not a challenging division, so maybe they're in first place again. That's not a crazy scenario, and you wonder, is Jed Hoyer still going to push that button if the phone is ringing for guys like Chris Bryant if they're at the top of the division? I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to watch now that Theo's gone.
2: Yeah, it really is. It's going to be pretty interesting to see how this all plays out, and, and remember that you know in the last full season that we had in 2019 – The Cubs were 84 and 78, but they went 2 and 10 over the last 12 games. So they were on pace to be a playoff team. They were on pace to win somewhere between 88 and 90 games. They just got cold at the absolute worst possible time, and it took them out of the playoff picture. So this is a team that, you know, conceivably could have won the division in 2019, did, you know, make the playoffs last year in, in that short season in 2020. So, you know, even though they've underperformed and underachieved, They've still been there at the end, and the question here this year, along with the offense, is what happens beyond Kyle Hendricks in this rotation? Because I am not a Jake Arrieta guy at all whatsoever. The skills are declining, velocities down, contact quality against has gotten much worse. I think Zach Davies is you know a light version of Kyle Hendricks, so maybe that's a good fit. But beyond that, not a fan of the depth of this rotation. Don't really like too much of the bullpen. They walk too many guys for my liking. They're, they're not that high variance of a team, I don't think, but they're in a division where it doesn't take a whole lot of things going right for them to you know, actually make a push.
4: Fangraph's projections say that this win total of 78.5 is about right. Picota disagrees. They're much higher on the Cubs. They're, they're throwing out 85 wins. Can you see him getting to 85, Adam?
2: I can't see 85. Yeah. You know, one of the things about Pakoda is they take defense very, very heavily into the equation. And Wilson Contreras, credit to him, he's gotten much better as a receiver behind the plate. Early on in his career, he was a butcher back there with the glove. He's gotten much better with that. Pakoda incorporates catcher framing quite a bit. And he was better at that last year, but they're mm-hmm. a pretty good defensive team. And I think that's where the difference kind of lies between fan and Pakota and where those projections are. I do not have a bet at 78 and a half. Uh, do you have a bet or lean? No, I, you know, again, I, I don't know what this team looks like in August and September. If I knew that everybody would be there for the full season, then I would lean over, but I just, you know, it's, it's very tough to figure out kind of where they're going to be in that Central Division race I mean, at the trade deadline.
4: This is early odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670. The score, my guest, Adam Burke, at Skating Tripods on Twitter, lead writer, ats.io talking about MLB win totals less than two weeks away from opening day. South side of town, Adam, we have the White Sox, and the win total is ticked down a little bit. I saw earlier in the offseason it was 915 half. And I was leaning under there just because they are so young, even though obviously this is a loaded lineup. I'm seeing it at points bet right now at 90 and a half. They bolster the starting rotation. They needed to do that. So now we're talking about Giolito, Keuchel, Lynn, and a bunch of younger guys, including Copeck, Cease, Ronaldo Lopez battling it out uh, for the fourth and fifth spots and uh, maybe even Rodan and the lineup completely loaded maybe you could say they could use a corner outfielder okay it looks like they'll be just fine as long as they can stay healthy
2: yeah I think staying healthy is a big deal here because the top of the market for this team the the ceiling for this team is very very high I mean if everybody stays healthy guys develop a little bit more cut down on some of the strikeout rates stuff like that if Nick Madrigal stays healthy and kind of turns this lineup over Um, you know that's a guy that just puts everything in play I mean his minor league strikeout numbers are simply absurd this is a team that has no weaknesses offensively if they stay healthy because depth is an issue with this team they don't have a great bench Uh, Andrew Vaughn's probably going to make the opening day roster I would think if not he'll be up very shortly thereafter but beyond him They don't have a whole lot of help coming from below. So they do have to stay healthy here because I do think this is a pretty depth shy team, but I mean, offensively one through nine, it's hard to find anybody better, especially if Vaughn is the guy who slots in that DH role.
4: Bullpens tough to predict. It looks strong. Liam Hendricks is your closer. Aaron Bummer, Garrett Crochet, And you're right, the depth in the lineup is a bit of an issue. Uh, Guys like Aloy Jimenez have had trouble staying healthy, uh, but they have the resources to add if need be. So that's the other part. Over the years, they haven't spent a lot of money, and so they built up that farm system, and they are in go-for-it mode. They don't want Tony LaRusso walking in here year one, a move that was widely criticized in the city. Uh, He just has a short roster in a few spots. They're not going to put him in that position.
2: Well, and I think something that's kind of fascinating about the White Sox and and maybe this is part of the reason why that win total has gone down as you mentioned. In the small sample, in the 60 game sprint last year, the White Sox were 18 and 2 against the Tigers and the Royals combined. Mm-hmm. So they were 17 and 23 against every other team with a pulse, and I want to say they were 4 and 2 or 5 and 1, something like that against the Pittsburgh Pirates. So they absolutely beat up on inferior teams. And to be fair, you have to do that, particularly in this division. It's something the, that my Indians have done for a long time, and it's really helped them you know, win division titles, and then they go to the playoffs and play a real team, and you know, we kind of see what happens there. But that's one concern I do have about the White Sox is that they absolutely hammered the really, really bad teams in their division last year, and I do think both the Royals and the Tigers will be a little bit better for this season. The second thing is I love the hire of Ethan Katz, the new pitching coach. He was Lucas Giolito's high school pitching coach at Harvard Westlake High School. Uh, he also was a pitching coach for Max Freed and Jack Flaherty. Then he makes his way to the major leagues. He was an assistant pitching coach with the Giants last year. And the Giants are doing a lot of really advanced things with their pitchers. They're increasing their spin rates, increasing their velocity, really maximizing the production of that unit. So I think that Katz can do that with this White Sox pitching staff where we've already seen what he's done working in private with Giolito, increasing his velocity, all of that. I think he can do a lot of the same things with this bullpen and with these depth guys. The question that I have is how do all of these dynamics work with Tony Larusa? You've got a pitching coach who's pretty much half his age. You've got a young, brash, aggressive, flashy, showy kind of lineup. A, a lot of swagger and deservedly so. Does LaRusa, you know, just kind of let these guys be who they are? Does he try to micromanage them and their personalities? I don't know how the clubhouse dynamics come together here. I know there's a ton of talent on this roster. I just mm-hmm. don't know, you know, how comfortable everybody is in their own skin as this season goes along. And I don't know how long it'll take us to find that out. But the LaRusa hire and they had it out too. You know, it was a widely unpopular hire. They had it out. They didn't take it. And I'm, I'm not sure how that all plays out.
4: Adam, I've been saying all off season that they should be able to sleepwalk to 90 wins and at 91 and a half, it's like, okay, I would lean
2: under 90 and a half. I'm not betting the under with this roster. The, the thing about it for me is when I sort of put together my thoughts in terms of the season win totals, I'm looking at a team's ceiling and a team's floor. And then I'm looking at if I think the line is closer to the floor or closer to the ceiling for this White Sox team on talent alone, they have, you know, a, a mid to upper nineties ceiling. And I think mm-hmm. the floor is very high too, because of how good the offense is. That being said, asking a team to win 92 games, 91 or 92 games, is a big ask, especially for a team that, I mean, the Indians pitching staff shut them down. The Twins did really well against them. Good pitching staffs held this team down. They really padded their numbers against bad teams, and I think on the whole, just about everybody in the American League, outside of probably the Rangers, Mariners, and Tigers, are are going to be better this year than what we saw from them last season. So, That's the concern that I have with the White Sox not playing a third of their games against the Tigers and Royals. Now they're playing the entire AL plus their interleague games. So I think this one's lined about right, to be honest with you.
4: Yep. I would agree with you. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670, the score. Sorry, guys, we don't really have a strong play in the win total for the Cubs or White Sox. Other ways to attack those teams. But as far as the win total, we think these numbers are are about right. And uh, Adam, I'm glad you talked about the rest of the American League Central, because that's where I want to go next. This is probably my favorite over. And I'm going to Kansas City. The number is at 73 and a half. There's disagreement between Fangraphs and Picota. Picota low on KC, but Fangraphs much higher, uh, projecting them at 78 wins. And I'm not one that's typically going to back a Mike Matheny ball club here, but they have a solid core with Merrifield top of the lineup. He's going to be among the league leaders in hits. Jorge Soler, the former Cub, in the heart of that lineup there. And there's still guys coming up like Bobby Witt Jr., a Mondesi a quality player. Dozier could have a bounce back season. And then they make additions too, which is something I liked. What we've seen a lot this offseason is you have two teams that are pretty quality in most divisions. And then the rest of the division doesn't really try well they traded for andrew benintendi they add carlos santana to fill out the lineup mike minor to finish out the rotation they have some young arms that i do believe in in keller and singer who last year finished according to most metrics right in the heart of the league right in the middle there so it's not bad i'm not saying they're going to be in the american league playoffs here but I think Kansas city can be close to a 500 team. I'll take the over 73 and a half. What do you think?
2: Yeah, this is exactly illustrating the point that I talked about earlier about, you know, if the win total line is closer to the floor or the ceiling for a team. And I think Kansas City's ceiling is much higher than this 73 and a half win number. Like you, I think there's a path to being in that 79 to 81 win range. A couple of things here. The first is when I'm backing a team with a low win total, I absolutely have to have a good bullpen because it's a team that probably won't have a lot of late inning leads so I need to feel confident that they're going to finish those games off and the Royals have an excellent bullpen a lot of high strikeout rate guys out there they've done some very smart things in terms of the way that they've acquired and developed their bullpen arms so I really like that also offensively This should be a much better unit than what we saw last season. Jorge Soler, who makes violent contact, he's top 2% of the league in exit velocity, hard hit rate, barrel percentage, stuff like that. Last year, he struck out a lot more, and I don't really see anything in his profile that would suggest that's the case again. Whit Merrifield was a tale of two halves. Uh, Adalberto Mondesi is a guy that I think is a much better player than what we've seen so far. Santana, low batting average guy, but he walks a lot. Good defensive player. One of the big things for the Royals here is that Alex Gordon was god-awful last year, and they've now replaced him with Andrew Benintendi. So I always look for things like that, upgrades in the aggregate, where you take a really below-average player and upgrade him with somebody who's league average or better than that. And the Royals are doing that at a couple of different positions here. They're a very good defensive team. I think it's a team with a higher ceiling than people realize. And it is one of my favorite overs.
4: Early on Joe Ostrowski, Sports Radio 670, the score. My guest, Adam Burke, host of ATS Radio. All right, Adam, how about another over or two that you like for the 2021 season?
2: Yeah, if, if we can move over to the senior circuit for a minute here, I really like the over for the Philadelphia Phillies. And this is one that I think has kind of caught some people by surprise because they're out there with the Braves and Mets, who are you know two of the shorter prices to win the World Series. They're out there with the Nationals, who won the World Series in 2019. But I really, really like what the Phillies are doing here. And one of the biggest problems for the Phillies last year, their bullpen was beyond awful. I mean, it was easily the worst in baseball. It cost them at least three or four games towards their overall record. So what do they do? They go sign Archie Bradley. They go trade for Jose Alvarado. They signed Brandon Kinsler and Tony Watson to non-roster invites, but those are two guys that are absolutely going to make this bullpen here. They had a top 10 offense last year. They had a top five starting rotation, due in large part to Aaron Nola, who was off the charts good, but Zach Wheeler is good. Zach Eflin is an above average guy. And the win total is in the 81, 81 and a half range. So I don't need miracles. I just need a team that wins more games than it loses. And I think the Phillies are very much poised to be that team. And they're kind of an afterthought because they didn't go trade for Francisco Lindor. They haven't won, I think, three straight divisions like the Braves have. They don't have that recent World Series like the Nationals. And a lot of these offseason futures markets are based on perception. They're based on the splashy headlines that teams made in the offseason. The Phillies didn't really make any, but they clearly upgraded the worst part of their team and I think that gives them a little bit of helium, especially when you consider that their season win total was pretty much in the same spot last year. And I would easily argue that this team is much better than what last year's team looked like in February and March before the season was canceled.
4: Do you agree that the NL East is your deepest division in baseball?
2: Yes. And, yeah. and the, the thing about it too, the Marlins aren't even a walkover. I mean, their starting nope. rotation is very, very good. I just don't think that they're going to hit with all the teams that they'll play regularly.
4: Took out the Cubs in the playoffs, if you want to count that.
2: (laughs) If you want to count that.
4: Early odds of Joe Ostrowski, 670 the score. Okay, let's look at some win totals going under. This is tough to say, and you might disagree, and I'm going to go to the division we were just discussing. And this is part of the reason that I went with the Braves under 91.5, Braves under 91.5, because it is the strongest division In the game, Uh, three consecutive division titles for Atlanta. Listen, first, second, third. Yeah, every offensive category. It's probably going to happen again. I just think 91 and a half is a little bit too much because I don't completely buy into the depth of that rotation. After you get past Freed, we'll see if Morton still has it, Soroka and Anderson and Smiley with his 26 starts over the last four years great team. They can mash with the best of them. They will be in the playoffs. I just have 91 and a half, a little bit too high. What do you think, Adam?
2: It is a high number. And and that's a big thing too. With these season win totals in the nineties, you don't get much margin for error. And you know, you've got Soroka coming back from the Achilles injury, and that's not something easy to come back from. I do really love the top part of this rotation though. I think Charlie Morton does bounce back I love Ian Anderson. I think Ian Anderson is maybe a dark horse Cy Young kind of guy if you can find some long shot odds for him. And Max Freed is legit too. The thing for me is they're so good offensively and they've got such a good bullpen that they've got a high floor. To me, in terms of a team I would look at from an under standpoint from that same division, would actually end up being, really there's two of them. I think the Nationals kind of bottom out a little bit. But if I had a head-to-head prop between the Braves and the Mets, I would take the Braves to win more games than the Mets. The the Mets Mm -hmm. are a team to me where, look, offensively they could be outstanding. They also have a lot of guys that have had injury concerns in the past. Conforto's missed plenty of time. Brandon Nimmo's missed plenty of time. Jeff McNeil, uh, you know, he's a guy that's missed a lot of time over the course of his career. And on the pitching side, Carlos Carrasco's already hurt. That's a problem for them. Seth Lugo is a huge piece of this bullpen. He's going to miss probably six to eight weeks after having surgery, I think for a bone spur in his elbow, that's a really big swing piece that they're missing. This is just narrative based. I'm, I'm usually a very analytical, you know, <laughs> quantitative kind of guy. Yeah. Something always goes wrong for the Mets. It just always something they I know I'm gonna say they're cursed, but they just, they never really live up to expectation last year. Great offense with the base is empty. Awful offense with men on base, especially with men in scoring position, pitching staff. Great with nobody on base terrible with men in scoring position. So there's just always something about the Mets that holds them back. So I guess if, if you and I had a side bet here, Braves versus Mets, uh, I think the Braves do win more games than the Mets and, and both season win totals, you know, pretty similar at that. Where are the losses going in the division? They've got to go somewhere. I think the nationals are one. I, no. I do really think the nationals bottom out. Max Scherzer's looked better in spring training than he did at the tail end of last year from a velocity standpoint and all of that but I'm not buying Patrick Corbin. I'm not buying Steven Strasburg. Trey Turner is going to regress. Juan Soto could very well win the MVP. He could go all Mike Trout and win the MVP on a bad team. But I, I think that's a team that really bottoms out this year.
4: Adam, give me one of your favorite unders.
2: One of my favorite unders here, actually the Oakland Athletics. And, and this one surprises me because I love teams that are well-versed in the metrics. And Oakland, obviously that. I mean, they've had to be. They were the subject of Moneyball by Michael Lewis and of course the movie by the same name. But I just look at this Oakland team and they're kind of on borrowed time to me. You know, The platoon advantage is dying in Major League Baseball with the way that pitchers are attacking hitters. So that kind of hurts them. Uh, They've got some guys that do have some platoon splits that may struggle a little bit. The bullpen's just not nearly as strong as it's been in the past. The starting rotation is littered with guys that have major injury concerns. I, and I also think that, you know, the angels are a little bit better of a team. I still like Houston out there in the West Oakland under, and it's a, a pretty big number. I think 87 and a half, 86 and a half Oakland under is one that, that I already have played and probably my favorite of the unders for this year.
4: Adam, next week, I'm going to cover my favorite futures and awards for the upcoming season. But as long as I have you, is there any that you want to share with the early odds audience?
2: Well, this one will thrill Cubs fans, but I like the Milwaukee Brewers to win the World Series. At about, I think I've seen 55 to 1 out there. And before everyone goes crazy and, and turns the dial and shuts this off, <laughs> it's not because I think the Brewers win the World Series. The Brewers would not beat the Padres or the Dodgers, probably not the Braves or the Mets, anything like that. But like we talked about with the NL Central, it is bad. You've got four teams that are, I think are very interchangeable. I know everyone likes the Cardinals because they got Arenado. But these are four teams that are very interchangeable to me. If Milwaukee wins this division and I get a playoff team at, you know, 50 or 55 to one to win the world series, I can hedge immediately. I can guarantee myself profit, bet against them in the division series, which they'll probably lose and they will be an underdog. But when you look at this team, I mean, from a, a top heavy standpoint, They've got several of the best players in this division. They've got Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns in the rotation. Josh Hader, Devin Williams in the bullpen. Christian Yelich is obviously an elite level player. Keston here, I think still will hit. They've got enough top end guys to where they can win this division. Get me into the playoffs at a really big number. And then I can go ahead and bet off of them and guarantee profit that way. So I think the Brewers win the NL Central. So I think that's plus 325, plus 350, something like that. And then also a world series piece simply because I think they get me into the playoffs where I can guarantee and lock up some profit that way.
4: Very good. Adam, can uh, you tell the people where they can find your detailed season preview?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Over at ATS.io, there's a landing page for the 2021 MLB betting guide. It has links to all of the individual articles in that guide team previews for all 30 teams, all six divisions, pennant world series, MVP, Cy Young Futures, a lot of good stuff there in that. Or on my Twitter, at Skating Tripods, I have a pinned tweet at the top with a link to that landing page, but also a link to the PDF of this year's guide from my Google Drive. So you can download that, print it on the office printer, save yourself on the ink, you know, all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, you can check that out, ATS.io, and then also on my Twitter page, at Skating Tripods.
4: Perfect. It is uh, worth your time. I highly recommend it win totals futures awards all the stuff that you're into whichever league you're paying attention to i mean you need some time if you want to read the entire thing but uh you will definitely learn a few things adam burke at skating tripods on twitter host of ats radio adam thank you so much for your time let's
2: uh do this again once we get into the season a little bit absolutely sounds great joe thanks for having me
4: opening day just 13 days away but the madness is underway. Let's dissect day two of the tourney with College Hoops betting expert Eli Hershkovich. That is next. This is Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Friday's at 6 this month on 670 The Score and the Radio.com app.
1: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670TheScore.com, Chicago's Sports Station.
4: The Score listener line is open 24-7, free- Empowered by BetQL, bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Early odds with Joe Ostrowski, Fridays at 6 p.m. through the tournament, usually Saturdays 8 to 9 a.m. on 670, the score. On today's BetQL Daily, since it's day one, we went wall-to-wall March Madness. Not something we usually do, but we decided to make an exception The College Hoops genius, Eli Herskovich, my co-host today. Here's his breakdown on tomorrow's game, starting with Colorado and Patrick Ewing's Georgetown squad coming off a Big East Conference championship.
0: It got as low as four and a half earlier in the week. So there was some of that reaction, Joe, that you were mentioning with Georgetown coming off the Big East title uh, win and beating Creighton. But I feel like the market is not only coming back on the right team here, but also coming back on the on the correct perception, correct evaluation of the Big East. I'm not super high on this conference, even though I think Villanova could beat Winthrop. It's still a more of a coin flip game than the spread indicates without Villanova having their lead ball handler in Gillespie. But back to this game, if Colorado wants to win this game and wants to cover the spread. They got to hit their threes. That's where Georgetown is most susceptible. Even though this defense came to play in the big East tournament, we didn't really see a team challenge them from deep Creighton couldn't hit shots in the title game. Villanova couldn't hit shots in the semifinal Marquette wasn't hitting shots in the quarterfinal along the way. If Colorado hits their threes with Schwartz and McKinley, Wright, If McKinley, Wright is dominating the tempo and controlling the pace. Colorado wins this game by a couple possessions.
4: But you were not uh, placing a wager on this contest.
0: Correct. If you want to throw Colorado in a money line uh, parlay, I, d- I don't hate mm-hmm. that. How about the second
4: game of the day on Saturday? Florida State, the four, going up against UNC Greensboro, double digit favorites. Florida State, the line is 10, uh, biggest team in the nation. What do you think?
0: Yeah. And it's a great point because while UNC Greensboro, UNCG could turn Florida State over. We saw it in the ACC tournament title game. Florida State had 25 turnovers. What what are you laughing at? What are you
4: laughing
0: at? I don't think I'm laughing at anything.
4: Okay. I I thought
0: you were laughing. I was smiling. This is the best time of the year. I was smiling. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I was laughing. I, I hope not. Okay. Um, I, I, it's funny that you thought that. But, uh, yeah, Greensboro should be able to turn Florida State over, but it doesn't take away from the fact that Florida State should be able to dominate this team physically up front. UNCG's interior defense hasn't been bad, but they're susceptible to the three. And while Florida State's shooting at an unconscious clip still, and they were in conference play over 40%, on the season. Maybe that comes down to the tournament. This is actually an an intriguing factor is how teams adjust to the shooting backdrop. And maybe you bet teams live if they struggle early. UCLA, a perfect example of that last night against Michigan State, right? A Big Ten team in MSU that knows Mackey Arena. And they came out hot from three. Rocket Watts had a big first half. So did Joey Hauser. UCLA got comfortable, adjusted in the second half. They started knocking down shots. If for some reason UNCG is up at the break and Florida State hasn't adjusted to Mackey, it's it's not like Greensboro knows this arena, like Michigan State. It's not like they're a Big Ten team. I'm just making the point that for all these teams, it might take a half to adjust. Florida State's athleticism and three-point shooting could, should surface in the second half if it doesn't in the first half.
4: Okay, let's keep moving on Saturday. Uh, Kansas also a double-digit favorite. They're favored by 10.5 against Eastern Washington. A lot of questions all week. Just about COVID concerns. Any info that we've learned over the last uh, day or so?
0: Yes. Jalen Wilson, Kansas' wing is going to be out for this game with COVID. I think it's got to be for the first two games. But it doesn't take away from the fact that Kansas has a size advantage against Eastern Washington. And David McCormick should have a monster game. McCormick had COVID tracing last week. So I thought he was going to be a guy, along with Anua, a a backup forward for Kansas that was going to miss this game. And without McCormick, McCormick not playing for Kansas is much more detrimental than Jalen Wilson. Even though Wilson is a solid score, can stretch the floor uh, from time to time, but he's not a consistent shooter. McCormick is one of the best backs to the basket bigs in college basketball. As much as I want to take Eastern Washington, this line might be inflated. I would lean towards uh, EWU. McCormick uh, being in the game and and playing, uh, assuming he doesn't get in foul trouble and, and Kansas has to go small, they haven't played up poorly with that small ball lineup this year especially with some of those guards off the bench um, I lean towards eastern Washington with the points but um, Kansas could also blow them out with McCormick
4: great matchup in the east region with the 8-9 game um, the winner will probably be taking on Michigan in round number two but we've got LSU 29th in Ken Palm and And St. Bonaventure, 24th in Ken Palm. And the line suggests that this is tight. They've got the Tigers out of the SEC as one-and-a-half-point favorites.
0: This is going to be a fascinating matchup because LSU has one of the most explosive offenses in college basketball. We saw that in the SEC title game going up against Alabama. St. Bonaventure's defense can be had from three, even though they're an elite defense. Top 20 adjusted defensive efficiency. Yeah, that's coming from, again, from a metric standpoint, possession-by-possession possession basis over the course of 100 possessions in a given game. If LSU hits their threes with smart Cam Thomas, if Days could stretch the floor, if Watford hits some threes like he did down the stretch in that Alabama game, LSU should be able to win this game. But if they're not hitting their threes and St. Bonaventure is controlling the pace with one of the better mid-major guards in college basketball in Lofton, St. Bonaventure could win this game. I, UFC, you have the Bonnies to the Sweet 16 in your bracket. Yeah, I can't disagree with that pick because if the Bonnie's move on, I have LSU in my bracket. If, if LSU moves on, Michigan beats LSU. If the Bonnie's move on, I will be taking St. Bonaventure against the spread against Michigan. So I'm with you there. And they're, they're live to win a, a round a 32 game against the Wolverines. They're live to win this game. But if LSU's hitting threes, I think, I think the Tigers come out of this game with a victory.
4: And, and a so the, win- the winner of this game plays Michigan, and that's the next game of the day. On Saturday, 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central, number one Michigan going up against Texas Southern. The line is 25-and-a-half over at points bet. The big question, okay, can Michigan go long enough? Can they stay alive long enough for Isaiah Livers to make his return with the outside shooting? Last two years, Michigan, when Livers is out there 33-9, and when he is not on the court, they are 6-7. and
0: Yep. He said earlier in the week that he'd be shocked if he came back. Then again, if Michigan makes it to the Final Four, if they make it to the title game, they're not making it to the title game, but let's just say for the purposes of the conversation, right. then Livers, maybe he comes back. Maybe he plays 10 minutes a game, 15 minutes a game with that stress fracture in his right foot. But you would assume he doesn't. This is kind of a tough matchup for Michigan just in terms of the spread. They're favored by 25 and a half. Texas Southern could turn you over. We saw that yesterday against Mount St. Mary's. I kind of like Texas Southern to cover this line. I might take it tomorrow. It's a lean for me right now. Not an official play like Ross Tucker likes to say. So I lean towards Texas Southern uh, because of their ability to turn Michigan over. And the Wolverines do have their fair share of turnover issues.
4: The moment the bracket was revealed on Selection Sunday, since Davis started talking about it, 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 the chatter has not stopped about a potential 5-12 upset in the West, as UC Santa Barbara going up against Creighton, it feels like much of the public is on Santa Barbara. Uh, we've been talking to bookmakers throughout the week, and they're like, yeah, they're backing up that opinion with their wallet. People are betting on UC Santa Barbara. However, when you take a look at this point spread, Eli, I don't know if it's just late money coming in on the favorite or what it is. But earlier in the week, it was six and a half. And as we said, it's seven and a half.
0: Right. And seven other books too. So it's, it's been fluctuating from that six and a half number open at around nine and a half. So money immediately came in. Sonny, one of Santa Barbara's guards, he's the sixth man of the year in the big West might be out uh, for this game, but I believe it's an ankle injury. And that's a, that's a big loss for, for Santa Barbara on the offensive end. I think he's going to go. We don't have any word for tomorrow's game yet, but defensively this is more of the mismatch for Santa Barbara because Creighton relies on the three. Uh, Santa Barbara has a top 50 opponent's three-point scoring rate. So that means where do their opponent's points come from mainly? It's not from three. And they're not an elite three-point defense in terms of the opponent's percentage, but they are in terms of limiting threes. So if Santa Barbara and those guards led by McLaughlin can, can slow down uh, this offense, this offensive attack for Creighton that relies on the three at a super high top 40 clip, they could win this game outright. I think three possessions is a little much, especially if Santa Barbara can control the tempo. They also have a size advantage. So if they could rebound the ball, get an edge on the glass, and then slow it down and make Creighton play at an uncomfortable pace, they could win this game, but, but very likely cover the spread.
4: Eli, you have concerns about our Alabama futures. Please tell me you're not worried about day one of the tournament for them. Don't tell me you're worried about the Crimson's first game against Rick Petino and Iona.
0: I would love to see Rick Petito pull this off. As much as I, I loved my tide, it would be an incredible upset, but they don't have the three. Before he goes to DePaul? <laughs> oh, yeah. Rick Pitino to <laughs> DePaul. Well, from one Catholic school to another. Alabama should should coast past Iona if they're shooting their threes well. If John Petty is on from three, even without Primo, if Quinterly shooting the ball like he did in the SEC tournament, that was probably his best stretch from three this entire season. Alabama should, should, uh, should truck Iona considering on his 3 point defense.
4: Outstanding information from my guy Eli Herskovich today on my podcast. BetQL Daily, subscribe to BetQL Daily. Rest of the games, all there on the podcast from today's show. Check it out. Earlier this week, a new sports book opened up in the area. Details are next. This is Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski on 670 The Score and the radio.com app.
1: This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station.
4: Bit of thrilling day one of the NCAA tournament. Four games in progress, four more tip later tonight, and then we get 16 more do it all over again tomorrow welcome into early odds with joe ostrowski sports radio 670 the score jim miller from hawthorne race course is here and jim joins me on the alpamonte ford hotline alpamonte ford in melrose park on north avenue or APFord.com. we'll get into the madness in a moment jim but first off tell me uh how things kicked off on tuesday with the opening of points bet location number three in the area
5: yeah, and it's so awesome. What great timing for it, Joe, to have our third location open up. And this one in the northern suburbs in Prospect Heights at Players Pub and Grill. It's right by Palwaukee Airport. But this way, you're starting to cover a little bit more of the region. And at this time of year, people want to be able to bet on the tournament. They want to get out a little bit, too, and they're able to do so. So now the third retail location for points bet open in Chicago land area, we have Hawthorne Racecourse, Crestwood OTB and Prospect Heights. Over 100 HDTVs at Prospect Heights. It's a nice spread out area too. So for those
4: that wanna check in, they can do so this weekend excellent and down the road there will be a fourth location yep. that has not been confirmed yet but there will be a fourth one somewhere in the area and we will keep you updated uh just like we do every single week here on early odds with jim miller dropping by jim i know you're you're like me you've you antsy for this tournament we didn't get it for oh. two years you filled up brackets you're in my survivor pool you're probably doing squares <laughs> and last man standings uh what's really got you excited
5: You know what? Here's the cool thing about it. With with now having legalized sports gambling here in the state of Illinois, there's so many different options out there. Where I was finding value, Joe, was betting on teams to make the Elite Eight or to make the Final Four or betting on teams not to make it. So there were two teams that I was looking at, Joe, and two teams I followed. First off, Texas closed the year so, so strong. And because of that, you could get pretty good odds on them to make the Sweet 16, to make the Elite Eight, to make the Final Four. I have them going to the title game, so I'm betting them all the way through and getting good odds along the way. But where I found great odds, I am anti-Gonzaga. Gonzaga had like the 86-rated strength of schedule on the year. I bet them not to make the Sweet 16. I got 9-1 to one on that. So it's, it's so awesome to have so many opportunities out there to follow teams throughout the course of the brackets. Of course, I have to follow my survivor picks, too. But man, this is the best
4: time of year. We always preach about getting the best of the number. And it was amazing. The other morning on BetQL Daily, we were talking about the numbers posted on PointsBet and some of those double-digit dogs that people have been pumping up. There's like four or five of them this year. But you yep. can bet on one of those big dogs who just win two games, get to the Sweet 16. Earlier this week, Ohio was 15-1. to While I was on the air talking about it, it was cut in less than half down to 7-8-1. to
5: Yeah, and that's the thing that you got to find there too. And here's the thing, follow these COVID protocols that are coming out. Look at the movement on the Loyola-Georgia Tech game for those that were wagering outside of the Illinois market because Georgia Tech loses their top player, and all of a sudden Loyola's odds completely change. But this is going to happen with some other teams. You looked at Kansas coming in out of having to leave their tournament early. Virginia, the same thing. It does change the lines. You just got to stay on top of it.
4: Best of luck with Texas. Our guy, Eli Herskovich, has a Longhorns future, and he has them going to the title game but falling to the Illini. That's the same way I have it. I have (laughs)
5: Illinois against Texas. I have Illinois winning by one in the title game against
4: Texas. Oh, man. So so much going on. We we still have the NBA and NHL. Opening day right around the corner. Masters will be here before you know it. Got to get all those futures bets. I I know some people are jumping on NFL because they they think they can read the tea leaves. They know what's going to happen. The next big move. Okay, now (laughs) we know where Watson's going to go. Oh, it's just nonstop action. But there's also horses. Tell us about your horse picks.
5: Yeah, there is horses. We're six weeks from Derby Day as well. So that's the cool thing, too, Joe. And I got three horses for you at Fairgrounds on Saturday. Race number 12, bet the eight, spooky channel across the board, eight to one in the morning line. And race 13, bet the three, super sensational across the board, 15 to 1 in the morning line. And then the Derby prep, race 14, the Louisiana Derby bet the six Mandaloon to win. If that horse wins, that horse is in the starting gate on Derby Day. And I think the Mandaloon will be very tough. Jim, let's talk next Friday
4: night right here on Early Odds, okay? You got it. Good luck this weekend, Joe. Great days of wager in action, my friend. <laughs> Jim Miller at Hawthorne Racecourse. We also heard from Eli Herskovich previewing day two of the tourney, and we dove into MLB win totals with Adam Burke. If you missed any of the last hour, you can always use that rewind feature on the radio.com app or subscribe to the Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski podcast, which will be posted shortly. Fresh sports betting angles and interviews five days a week on my podcast, BetQL Daily. Search BetQL Daily on the podcast catcher of your choice. Also live on the Radio.com app and Radio.com Sports YouTube page weekdays, 9 a.m. to noon. Bulls and Nuggets coming up at 745. Talk Monday on BetQL Daily. Here's to a fun and profitable weekend of buckets. We'll be down to 16 before you know it. Keep it locked on 670 The Score.
1: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better.